It's a, it's a relatively uh, distinct discipline here uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is that we, we require apologetics in our MDiv, two courses you would take in the MDiv or the MAR Theological, and that's been the case since the beginning. And one of the reasons for that is because when Dr. Machen started uh, the seminary in the 20s, he asked uh, Dr. Van Til, Cornelius Van Til, to come and teach apologetics, and at that point they wanted to make sure that apologetics was a part of the curriculum. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons is because Dr. Bentil's uh, position, which is sometimes called presuppositionalism, if you know that long word, not the greatest term, but uh, all it basically means is that when you're defending the Christian faith, let me say it this way, you're defending the Christian faith. Now, um, in the history of apologetics, what has happened uh, by and large, not exclusively, but by and large what has happened is that uh, we've uh, come to think that what apologetics is supposed to do is defend a kind of generic theism. So that the task of apologetics, it is thought uh, by some, is simply to get people to a place where they believe that something supreme or some supreme being exists. And then if you can get them to that place, what do you do? You move them, move them over to the pastor or something and you can talk about Christianity. In the Westminster tradition, we haven't gone that uh, way. We haven't uh, thought that method was consistent. Partly because, uh, just to give you one example, some of you may know of uh, Anthony Flew, who is a British philosopher now in his uh, mid to upper 80s, I think. He's uh, spent most of his career as an agnostic or an atheist, and he's uh, and, uh, written a good bit of material trying to uh, refute uh, Christianity. About three or four years ago, um, someone had talked to, to um, Flu, or some different people had talked to Flu, and, and he uh, now acknowledges that there probably is something out there that's supreme or bigger than he is. And um, this was hailed as a great victory. Uh, but the problem, you see, is that Flu, now again is his mid or upper 80s, if he dies today, he'll go to the same hell he would have gone to as an atheist or agnostic. So why have an apologetic methodology that only brings you to a place that has nothing to do with your stance before the Lord? So what we uh, try to uh, emphasize around here is that apologetics is a defense of the Christian faith. And uh, the way that uh, Van Til used to talk about that is he would say, we have to, these were his words, and, and it gets a bit technical, but he says, we have to presuppose the ontological trinity in everything that we think and do and believe, and certainly in our apologetic method. And what does he mean by that? The ontological trinity, God as God, two distinctions we make with regard to the trinity. The economic trinity, which is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working out the process of salvation in history the economy of the work of each person, that is the Father does this, the Son does that, the Spirit does that. That's the economic trinity. Again, it, the word has an etymology, it doesn't have anything to do with finances. And then there's the ontological trinity, which is God in and of Himself, quite apart from creation. And it's important to understand that distinction because before there was anything created, there was only God, and God Himself is self-complete. And as self-complete, then God doesn't need creation or anything in creation to be who He is, and yet He determines to create. When He determines to create, He determines also to save a people for Himself. And in the process of doing that then, we begin to talk about the economic trinity, the history of redemption, and things like that. Now Van Til uh, would want to say, and I think rightly, that in starting with the ontological trinity, we must uh, necessarily presuppose the authority of Holy Scripture as authoritative. We don't come to that as a conclusion. 
we don't mount up as much evidence as we can and then say, well, you know what, it probably is authoritative, which is the way some apologetic methodologies go. Or one apologist who says, you know, to, to the best of our ability, as much as we understand now, it's probably true that Jesus rose from the dead. But now that you see, God's not happy with that kind of probability, is He? He's not happy with us saying He probably does exist. No, you assume that existence, you assume the truth of Scripture because in coming to any argument, you're always assuming something, aren't you? You presuppose something in any argumentation, anything you believe. You stand somewhere in order to assert something. And so the question is, on what do you stand to make such an assertion? And that's what uh, apologetics attempts to do. What we say around here, we say this quite explicitly, is that we, we, we presuppose the authority of Scripture, and in our context, in a Westminster context, that fleshes itself out in terms of what we call historic Reformed Orthodoxy. So the theology that we presuppose is a Reformed theology which itself is given to us through exegesis in Scripture. Those of you who take systematic theology here, at least most of the courses, you'll see that in those classes you do a good bit of exegesis from the Greek and from the Hebrew. And you may think at some point, is this a Bible class or is this a systematic theology? And the point is, it's a theology class, but our theology comes from the text. We don't put it onto the text, say, I believe this, now where can I find that? But it comes up from the text. And because of that, uh, we do some exegesis in our systematic theology. That is as it should be. That's a distinctive of Westminster. Our apologetics presupposes then that theology as we move into talking about what methodology or how we might approach unbelievers and unbelief and approach those attacks that come to Christianity. How best to defend Christianity, not just generic theism, but Christianity in the light of certain attacks that come our way. So that's what we do in apologetics. And without uh, our systematic theology, apologetics is empty. There's no generic theism around here. It's useless, it's vain, there's no reason for it. So we want to presuppose the Christian faith as we defend the Christian faith, and that means we're not simply moving toward a generic theism, we're moving toward the reality of the gospel in people's lives. I mean, Flu needs to hear the gospel. He doesn't need to believe just that there might be something bigger out there. He needs to believe that he is a sinner before this God who created him who is holy, and the only way to get to him it's by way of Christ. Now you can do that apologetically, but not unless you presuppose the authority of Scripture, because once you leave that ground, it's virtually impossible to get back to it. So that's our methodology. The, the apologetics and the systematic theology intertwine a good bit, and I think as you'll see if you come here, most, of, uh, most all of our curriculum intertwines in various ways. Uh, systematic theology, what you learn in biblical studies, what you're going to learn in practical theology and apologetics, all of it begins to fit together into a nice little web, a complex web, by the time you get to your second or third year in, in the curriculum here. And most students say that's the beauty of it all. Uh, your first year, as you just heard, you're wrestling with reading backwards and new, char new characters that you have to figure out and that sort of thing. So you're, you know, you're, you're a bit in a fog, most people are, but then by the second year as you begin to use what you've learned and apply those languages and do your exegetical work and understand the theology and get into the apologetic, then the lights tend to come on at that point and uh, it's well worth the wait.